Hello, and welcome to Chad's ADHD 365 podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Cherokee County School District in Canton, Georgia, and produced by children and adults with ADHD, Chad. Hi, I'm your host, Susan Booning, and I'm here today with Dr. Michael Meinzer. Hello, Dr. Meinzer. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me. Um, So I am an assistant professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago and also the director of our Succeeds ADHD clinic, um, which provides services for college students at UIC with ADHD. We're here to talk this afternoon about ADHD, self-harm, and suicide. Would you start out by talking about the difference between suicidal ideation and self-harm? Yeah, I think this is such an important topic to talk about, especially within the context of ADHD and um, teenagers. Uh, Suicide is actually the second leading cause of death among children and adolescents age 13 to 19, and actually the leading cause of death among 13-year-olds. So suicidal ideation um, is is more about when you're having thoughts of harming yourself without actually acting on those thoughts. And this can range from having more passive thoughts, like you know, thinking I, w- I would be better off dead or people would be better off without me or actually having active ones like I want to kill myself or I wish I was dead. Some people also classify planning for suicide, also part of the ideation stage. Um, and this can be thinking specifically about the means of how you would make a suicide attempt. And then self-harm falls within the behavioral category. So suicidal behaviors are actions that one's one takes to make a suicide attempt. So this can consist of gathering means for a suicide attempt or actually making a suicide attempt. What are some of the predisposing factors of ADHD that increase the risk of suicide for some people? So ADHD is associated with an increased risk for um, both suicidal ideation and suicide attempt. Research has demonstrated that youth with ADHD are at 550% greater odds of developing a suicide plan and 200% greater odds of actually attempting a suicide and compared to their, their peers without ADHD. And there's various reasons why folks with ADHD might be at higher risk. One of those is that individuals with ADHD tend to be at higher risk for depression in general, which is a risk factor for for both suicidal thoughts and behaviors. Other things that could come into play are emotion regulation. So the inability to kind of deal with those complex negative emotions when they come up. So poor ability to regulate those negative emotions or cope with them um, is associated with suicide attempts. And individuals with ADHD on average, tend to have a little bit more difficulty with regulating their emotions. In addition to that, just impairment in general can often be a risk factor for suicide. So experiencing failure in academic domains or having a lot of financial distress or other uh, stress in other areas of your life, which tend to be, again, on average, higher within folks with ADHD compared to those without. And so those are our general risk factors. Other research, um, including some of my has actually examined how ADHD fits into the broader context of the interpersonal theory of suicide, which is one of the leading theories for why individuals have suicidal thoughts or make a suicide attempt. Um, So two of those components of the interpersonal theory of suicide is thwarted belongingness 
and perceived burdensomeness. So thwarted belongingness can be thought of as, you know, an individual feeling that they don't belong in, in the broader community with their peers or their friends. And so individuals with ADHD, we know that research suggests that they demonstrate impaired social functioning, have increased rates of peer rejection, tend to have more negative relationship quality with their peers and friends. They may be at higher risk for this, this construct of thwarted belongingness. Perceived burdensomeness is also uh, one of the components of the interpersonal theory of suicide. Again, it's it kind of suggested in the name, but feeling like you're a burden on society or you're a burden on your family or friends. And research has suggested that parents of youth with ADHD report higher levels of parental stress. Adolescents with ADHD tend to experience lower graduation rates, less academic success, and need more resources from their school in order to feel successful. And so these, these sorts of factors might play into that perceived burdensomeness construct and, and in turn increase the risk for suicidal thoughts or behaviors. So how should we react when someone says, I am thinking about harming myself, I wish I hadn't been born, or I want to die? What can we do to help them? That's a great question, Susan. I think that this is really scary for parents um, to hear their child say something like this, or if you're a friend, to have a friend say something like this to you. I think first and foremost, as much as you can, try and remain as calm as possible um, as you don't want to shame or further stress someone who's experiencing these motions out, but rather make them feel that they're in a safe space to be able to talk about these things with you. Following that, if the individual, your child, has a therapist, certainly reaching out to the therapist if they have one regarding these thoughts that they're having about harming themselves. If your child doesn't have a therapist, I think that this is certainly a sign that that might be a process that you should start looking into is finding a provider that your child can talk to about these things. In the moment, however, again, talking with your child about the sorts of thoughts that they're having and monitoring them to make sure that they're, they don't have the capability or the means to actually inflict any harm on themselves in the moment. If you're, you know, are feeling that your child is going to make a suicide attempt or it, your child's unable to confirm that they're not going to act on these thoughts, um, it's certainly recommended that you bring your child to the emergency room um, to be further evaluated for their safety. If you're a teen struggling with these sorts of, of thoughts, I would say, you know, try and find somebody that a trusted adult or family member, parent, a teacher, someone that you can go to to talk about these sorts of thoughts. If you have a, a therapist, certainly reach out to them to let them know that you're having these sorts of thoughts. Also, a lot of times with your therapist, you'll develop what's called the safety plan. And that's trying to do things to get your mind off of these sorts of thoughts. And then as the risk escalates, you know, figuring out if you need to go into an emergency room situation. So the first step a lot of times for safety plans is trying to, you know, do something that's enjoyable that will help get your mind off of these sorts of thoughts. So, you know, maybe watching your favorite YouTube videos, going on TikTok, going and playing with your cat or dog, hanging out with friends. So doing things that are enjoyable that might be able to help get your mind off of these uh, thoughts of self-harm. The second step oftentimes is if that doesn't work, you know, finding someone that you can talk to about these sorts of things. As I mentioned before, whether this is a parent, a friend, a teacher, 
a school mental health provider. At the end of the day, that, that's not helping. You're still feeling like, you know, those thoughts won't go away and you, you feel like you might actually um, inflict harm on yourself. That's when you might want to reach out to your therapist or if you don't have one, contacting a suicide helpline, hotline. There's national numbers that you can call to be able to talk with someone when you're having these sorts of feelings. And again, if those things don't work and you're still feeling like I might harm myself, um, I can't get these thoughts to go away, certainly going to an emergency room or calling 911 if you're at risk for harming yourself, because that's certainly the last thing that we want to happen to you. There are a lot of myths about suicide. How do these myths prevent people from reaching out for help? And how do the myths prevent other people from reaching out to them to help? That's a good question and, and maybe a, a trickier one to answer. So one of the myths is that talking to someone about having thoughts of self-harm will mean that you know, you're going to be hospitalized against your will or have to go inpatient, that having these thoughts alone is going to cause you to be you know, cut off from your family and friends because you're having these sorts of thoughts. But in fact, this information is so helpful for mental health care providers to have to make sure that they're providing you with the best treatment to help you get better. So I would say one of the myths is that sharing this information is, is bad, but rather I think we need to destigmatize the talk around um, self-harm and suicide so that when individuals are having these sorts of thoughts, they feel comfortable going to their, their parent or a trusted family member to talk about these sorts of things so that they're not bottling these thoughts up and having you know their feelings get worse and, and lead to making a, a suicide attempt. How do the myths prevent other people from reaching out to help? So if a parent has certain concepts, certain beliefs, certain myths about suicide, and how might that prevent them from helping or a friend believing, for instance, that if someone talks about it, they're not going to do it, or if they're happy, they're not having those kinds of thoughts. One of the most common misconceptions is that there's only one profile of what a person's going to look like when they're experiencing suicidal thoughts. And usually that profile is that the person is really withdrawn, depressed, sad, you know, unmotivated, not doing the things that they used to enjoy. So, you know, really depressed. But just because someone's not showing those outward signs doesn't necessarily mean that they're not struggling with suicidal thought and contemplating uh, suicidal behaviors. I think one of the misconceptions is, of a parent is if your child comes to you um, with these concerns to take them seriously, that even if your child maybe isn't showing these traditional warning signs of being sad or depressed, not brushing them off and saying, oh, well, you know, you, you're just being dramatic. You know, you can't be feeling this way. You have it so good. What do you have to be upset about? But really validating how your child is feeling and leaving that door open for communication about these sorts of things. So you spoke a little while ago about thwarted belongingness. How about academic struggles and ADHD and the risk of suicide? Academically, you know, youth with ADHD tend to be at higher risk for academic underperformance, difficulty accomplishing their goals, lower GPA, failing out of high school or failing classes. And oftentimes this consistent failure in the academic domain can really demoralize someone with ADHD. Um, and that these academic struggles in turn could influence the emergence of suicidal thoughts or behaviors. Again, this isn't to say that everyone with ADHD who is experiencing academic difficulties is then going to go on 
to develop suicidal thoughts or behaviors, but that's just one risk factor. As we know, there's lots of different factors that go into whether someone has thoughts of self-harm or behaves or inflicts self-harm. But academic difficulties is just one area that, that could be a warning sign or a risk factor for someone engaging in those thoughts or behaviors. How can I identify someone who is at risk for suicide? That's a great question. And unfortunately, there's not one thing that can help us identify if someone's experiencing suicidal thoughts from the outside without asking them. So a lot of times if a provider knows that an individual is depressed, we'll screen for suicidal thoughts or behaviors. So as a parent, if you know your child has experienced suicidal thoughts or behaviors in the past, you know, talk to them about that. Ask them how that's going. Are they still experiencing those sorts of thoughts? But leaving that door open for communication so that that your child feels comfortable coming to you with these sorts of thoughts and that they're not going to be shamed or get in trouble for talking about these sorts of things. So having that open door of communication is one of the best ways to identify because we can't really see what thoughts are going on through someone's head. So unless they tell us, we don't know. However, some of that more outward behavioral signs could be signs that we often see with depression too. So feeling, you know, being more withdrawn, isolated, experiencing bullying or interpersonal conflict. Those could be some more outward behavioral signs that as a parent, you could notice and you might want to check in with your child and see how they're what they're thinking or how they're doing. But again, going back to our question about myths and, and misconceptions, talking about these things with your child in an appropriate way, isn't going to increase the risk that they're going to have these thoughts or these behaviors. In fact, you know, in many ways, this could help prevent the escalation from thoughts into behaviors when it comes to suicide. So getting back to ADHD, how does treatment for ADHD help reduce the risk of suicide? As we know, ADHD treatment is often multi-component, and these components address various areas of children and adolescents' lives. Oftentimes, ADHD behavioral treatments will target peer relationships. So improving uh, children and adolescents with ADHD social skills. Um, and in turn, by improving those peer relationships, that might decrease some of that thwarted belongingness that we talked about before, and thereby decrease the risk for suicidal thoughts or behaviors. Oftentimes we see organization skills um, and time management worked into a lot of behavioral ADHD treatments. And this could boost academic performance, which also has been identified as a risk factor for ADHD. Other ADHD behavioral treatments will help individuals identify and accomplish their goals. And by nature of you know accomplishing goals and feeling that you're productive and doing things that are goal-directed, you're going to feel better about yourself and might be able to decrease some of that depression that we often see predicting suicidal thoughts and behaviors. And lastly, ADHD treatments often include components that target emotion regulation skills. So oftentimes, kids with ADHD have less tools in their toolbox to deal with negative emotions. And so ADHD treatments will often help adolescents and children figure out what tools they have in their toolbox to combat those situations where they might have negative emotions. And by improving those emotion regulation skills, we could decrease the risk for suicidal thoughts and behaviors. Is there anything you'd like to tell us that I didn't ask you about? 
the one thing that I did want to mention that I think is really important. So the Congressional Black Caucus just released a report that stated that the suicide death rate among Black youth has been found to be increasing faster than any other racial or ethnic group, which as a field suggests that we need to do better at disseminating treatments to these communities to better serve them and decrease this increasing rate of suicide. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that the Chad community um, benefits from this, this podcast. This podcast is part of the Cherokee County District's Parent University Series and the CCSD CARES Initiative, cultivating achievement, resiliency, and the empowerment of students. CCSD's vision is that all students will thrive today, tomorrow, and throughout life with a sense of purpose and self-worth. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chad's ADHD 365 podcast.